Blood is really warm. It's like drinking hot chocolate, but with more screaming. Zombie haiku, Ryan Meekum. Violent Vice contains graphic and explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Violent Vice. I am John John. And I'm Audie. Hello. If you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button and give us five stars. And a review would be also quite nice. Getting us out there and more people hearing us. But more to the topic today, let's get into the Yuletide spirit, Audie. Spooky spirits. Can't wait. Spooky spirits. Yuletide spooky spirits. Woo. Yes. So, first, we should probably mention that this isn't going to be your typical Christmas folklore stuff. I mean, I already talked about the Krampus last week, but this week, we're talking about some Icelandic folklore people who are very festive and very dangerous. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? This would be Gryla, the Christmas Witch of Iceland. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Most people do not know about this person. Or much of Icelandic anything. But I actually stumbled across this person watching just some funny shows on YouTube. And she has quite the interesting home life, I guess you could say. Like, I mean, she's a very typical witch. In some regards, she loves to take naughty children and eat them. But she lives with an entire family with pets and everything like that. Speaking of pets, my pet, my cat named Sabrina, who you will occasionally hear in the background, ties into this story because Gryla just appeared on Sabrina the Teenage Witch series on Netflix. Ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Though she looks nothing like the person in sabrina yeah however it is very much based on this particular character now the thing about most icelandic christmas folklore and specifically they would depict things in a more give and take type thing where they don't even have santa claus per se like they will give gifts to the good children and good people or they might cause some severe problems for these people if they aren't behaving. Gryla is essentially the matron of all of these Christmas time, winter solstice, Yuletide season monster menagerie I guess you could say. Now Things to know about Gryla is, unlike her depiction in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, she isn't depicted as a beautiful woman who wears dark eyeshadow, wine red lipstick, and a dark contour. Gryla, like your average troll, 
has an appetite for misbehaving children. She's often depicted with several tails, horns, a beard, and a hag-like appearance. In other words, she's appealing enough by troll standards to put a ring on it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. However, Gryla hasn't had the best luck when it comes to love. She's been married three times, with the third one being called Le Paludi, is her most recent ogre husband. There's going to be a lot of Icelandic pronunciations, which out of Eastern languages to speak, Icelandic, I guess, is one of the toughest. So we, I've got my work cut out for me with pronunciation this time. Good luck. It'll be like the Grace O'Malley episode. Maybe. Now, however, even this most recent husband of hers isn't exactly a bed of roses, as Le Paludi was caught having an affair with their maid, Lupa, and a son named Scruger was born to her outside of sanctimony of troll wedlock. So, infidelity even amongst the winter trolls. Now, Gryla, of course, was outraged and drove both Lupa and Scruger away. Not Lapaludi, though. And I'm hoping that Gryla and Lapaludi are in couples therapy and working it out and healing their relationship. However, there hasn't been any word about troll child support type details. Therapy, though. Yeah. Hopefully. They're still together, so you would think. You would think. Now, Gryla spends the year as a hermit up in her cave in the mountains and comes down once a year during the Yule season to hunt for misbehaving children to place in her cauldron stew, which is just called children's stew that both her and Lapaludi end up eating quite pleasantly, though Gryla does most of the work. Now, despite the rocky past, they do always have this tradition where they do eat together. Essentially, just those two, not the rest of the family. Because the other family does other things during this time. Now, similar to modern ideas of Santa Claus, she has the ability to watch children year-round. Looking for the naughty ones. So she keeps a keen eye out for fresh ingredients for her seasonal stew and i guess your hobbies also would be pretty limited when you're living in a cave year round with a husband that has a wandering eye and about 20 mouths to feed overall throughout the year so yeah makes more sense for that it also might explain why she has so many kids but i digress out of all of her children which is depending on the source up to about 20. She has 12 to 13, depending on who gets mixed together, famous children named the Yule Lads, who are depicted less like children or trolls and more like Tomtes or Nises, essentially Swedish gnomes. They're like little, they would be essentially Santa elf type stuff but they've got like red hats, thick bushy white beards, and big bulbousy noses. So it's, 
I don't know. They look more like gnomes than elves, but they kind of have their own thing. But more appealing than trolls. Mm-hmm. Eh. Depends on which troll, I guess. Now, though Gryla spends most of her time in ragged clothing, her house pet is, in a sense, a very fashionable snob of these sorts. The Yule Cat. Apparently, it takes out its frustration of their owner's lack of fashion sense by devouring those who aren't wearing any new clothing on Christmas Eve. So if you're not wearing new clothing made out of wool, this cat will find you and eat you on Christmas Eve. Which a little bit of a weird type thing from that. It just might have something to do with there being only like a very small textile industry and it's only going to be wool as a way to encourage people. But that's not what we're here about. We're here about the crazy, crazy stuff. I was going to say most of America would probably have been eaten by that cat then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, there's some tie-in to Scotland and Ireland by this one person with a master's degree called Valgader H. Bjarnadotter. I'm certain I butchered that. And they have a master's degree in feminist cultural and religious studies who has given lectures on Gryla. And he says that there are tales both in Scotland and Ireland that resemble the Icelandic tales of Gryla closely. And there is no doubt that these stories and beliefs came to Iceland at this time of settlement of Iceland. Some stories become firmly rooted in our culture and other change or merge with stories from other cultures. The Irish elf tales are very similar to our, uh, our Icelandic ones. For example, Scottish goddess Caelich Beer is the Irish goddess Caelich Beara. And there are Celtic varieties of a goddess or supernatural being, which we call Grela in Iceland now. That's what I kind of found too when researching Krampus, that he had some Scottish and Gaelic lore tied into him, as well as the Prochetta goddess a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's a lot of tie-in with those island cultures. Now, time to get into the children specifically. Now, the Yule Lads have become much better tempered than their mother with time, as there was a law when the Dutch were in control of Iceland to abolish stories of Grela and her ilk. And as a way to keep that tradition still alive, people sort of disregarded the law, but also toned down a lot of these things from these stories to be more children-friendly. Because it ended up causing a bit of an uproar earlier on. Which is why these Yule lads are a little bit more on the goofy side instead of the terrible side. Now the Yule lads visit one at a time for 13 days. And then they stay until they've been there for 13 days. So it's... It's a bit of a weird system. They show up, they do their thing, and then they just hang around for a while. 
and then they leave in the same order they showed up. Now, they used to eat children like their mother, but they've become more benevolent with these stories and turned more into pranksters instead of cannibal type things. So kind of along the lines of gremlins or Christmas gremlins almost. I'd probably say that is more like they've gone from terrors to annoyances at best. Now these days children leave out their shoes for the Yule lads and for good kids, like on St. Nick's Day, they leave little gifts or candies inside the shoes for them when they come to visit. So for 13 nights, kids get to have little gifts and stuff for, for when they wake up in the morning. And it's kind of a different type of Christmas, so it's 13 day long Christmas. But if you're bad, you don't get those things in your shoes. For misbehaved children, they'll leave a potato. Usually a very molded, a very gross potato. Quick interjection. Do you remember the potato, onion, or candy guy that we used to go see trick-or-treating? Yeah, I remember him. That was just so much fun. I mean, how random. A potato, onion, or candy. Like, I think we've all ended up getting at least one of those while we were growing up, but only Max Dunn, I can remember, would get the onion and then just ate it raw. Yeah, but don't you remember how we used to dare each other like you take two bites of this raw onion or potato from my king-size Reese's peanut butter bar? Oh yeah, we were terrible barterers with each other. It was a bad bad time, but a fun time. It was hilarious. I mean, that was one of my favorite memories from growing up. It was fun stuff. So maybe we could start doing this and take some Icelandic traditions and put potatoes in shoes if we don't like what the kids are doing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know if that would catch on. Maybe. <laughs> and while I'm not sure eating anything out of shoes is necessarily that appealing of a treat, I do suppose the candy would be better than potatoes. And definitely much better than being considered a main ingredient in a troll stew. Perhaps the potato is really a gift for their mother. So she has both potatoes and naughty children for her stew. Which would be pretty thoughtful of them, but shoe-flavored potatoes are probably much more appealing to trolls anyway. Now, I am going to list these Yule lads in the way that they will show up. So this is going to be a lot of... I'll be saying their Icelandic name and then their English translation because it's really funny what they do and roughly what it is exactly they do if the name doesn't give it away. Also when they show up and when they leave. Okay? You ready for just abomination of language? Can't wait. Let's go. Okay. Arriving first on the scene. On the 12th of December is Steck Your Store, who is in English called Sheepcoat Claude, who harasses sheep but is impaired by his stiff peg legs. So he has these essentially completely straight legs, 
he likes to scare sheep and he would try to take the milk from the sheep for himself but he can't reach since he can't bend over because he's got straight up just wooden planks for legs so he gets upset and yells at these sheep for no reason and he sticks around until Christmas the 25th of December so on the next day is Giljagar or Gullygok who hides in gullies waiting for an opportunity to sneak into the cow shed and steal milk so two things in a row trying to steal milk from you it's gonna be a bad time and again they leave in the same order that they came so the day after Christmas is when Gullygok leaves next on the 14th of December shows up Stufer or Stubby Stufer Stubby that's cute yeah, who is abnormally short and steals pan to eat the crusts left on them. So if you have cast iron pots and pans like we did at the cabin and you cook with them, you're not going to be able to clean everything off of them, but he will come in, steal those, completely remove any flavor from these things, and then leave. I was going to say, if it was crusts of bread, I would relate, because I'm naturally short and stubby, and then bread, and then that would be me. Nope, not this one. They like old food, not just bread. So maybe a bit of both. And now this one, it has letters that are not in English, so I really hope I pronounced this right. But Pivors... Yeah. Puverus like here, or spoon liquor, who steals puvorur. God, that is such a weird thing to say. Which is essentially Icelandic wooden spoons that have a long handle. And he does the same thing that his brother of Forum does, but with spoons. And is an extremely thin little Yule lad, due to malnutrition, roughly. Because all he's getting is the spoons. So that's just, that's his fault. I was going to say, is the spoon too big? No, it's not too big. It's too small. Opposite problem, but same exclamations. <laughs> now on the 16th comes Potus Kefil. Potus Kefil. Or Pot Scraper. Who steals the leftovers from pots. Which you think that the one before would do because they were there first, but no. So similar three in a row, and the last of these fellows that steal from food in particular is Askus Like Here, or Bowl Liquor. Now, a little more intricate with this one. He hides under beds, waiting for someone to put down their Askur which is a type of bowl with a lid used instead of dishes that is usually like leftover foods that you would feed pets. So you just put the bowl on the ground and the pets would enjoy that. Sort of like how we would do with plates and bowls when we were done with them and feeding them to the dogs. But instead, he steals them. Once he sees that you put it down, 
He just quickly grabs it and out the door. Straight up steals it. Now they get a little more annoying from here on out. So on the 18th is Her Skeller or Door Slammer who likes to slam doors, especially during the night, waking people up. So you're having a peaceful December night, and then just a door slams. And then another door slams. So as you get back to sleep, door slams. He likes keeping you up. For no reason. It's like Sabrina, my cat. Exactly. Now, this one's pretty specific to Iceland. Called Skirgamur. I know that sounds like a fun thing to say, and you would be correct. But it is Skurgobbler. He's a Yule lad with a great affinity for skir. And I believe that's a particular type of food in Iceland. I'm not certain on that, but it is what he is. He, it's a holiday treat that he likes to take. Now this one that comes next, on the 20th. The last five before Christmas is Bjogna Krakir, or Sausage Swiper, who hides in rafters and snatches sausages that are being smoked. So they'll be hanging on railings, getting smoked, starting to dry. As soon as you turn your back, you're missing one. I'm pretty sure if Dad knew about these Yule lads growing up, he would blame most of the missing food. On the Yule Lads, and not him. Well, Mom's cookie dough, at least. Oh, there would have to be a Yule Lad for cookie dough for Dad. And Gabby, when she was little. She believed Dad for a while until she started doing it herself. Now, this one's a bit weird. There is Gluga Gager, or Window Peeper, who... The name's pretty creepy in its of itself. He is a snoop who looks through windows in search of things he can steal. So on the 21st, if you're going to have anything nice or fancy in your house, make sure it is well guarded and protected because this would be the night that it gets stolen if you aren't careful. Now next is someone who also steals food but a specific holiday food, which is essentially leaf bread, is the English translation. But his name is Gatipiffer, or Doorway Sniffer. He has an abnormally large nose and an acute sense of smell, which he uses to locate this leaf bread called Lufa Brood. Essentially, it's like the thin, riseless, dry kind of bread. It's more of a cracker type thing, but it's a sweet and very festive type cookie. So he steals cookies. Now, next one is Ket Krukur, or just Meat Hook, which he uses a long curved hook to steal meats hanging over the fireplace back when you would used to dry your meat over the fireplace when nobody's looking. He would reach this large hook down the chimney, snag one, and pull it back up for him to eat. 
And now the last one on Christmas Eve. Curtis Sneaker, or Candle Stealer, who follows children in order to steal their candles from their hands. And these candles typically in the past were made of tallow, which is essentially edible animal fat type wax. So while they were still on fire, candle stealer would snatch these candles from children specifically walking from one place to another with a little bit of light. So it's essentially taking away their flashlight so they can't see and are left in the dark and gobble these candles up while they were still lit, leaving the children in darkness. That one's a little bit on the scary side. Well, yeah, children walking home in the dark, that's just scary. Mm. And all of them stick around for 13 days total. The first of which leaves on the first of, well, the first day of Christmas. So December 25th. And Candle Stealer leaves on the 6th of January when the holiday season is done. Now, a couple fun facts about these Yule Lads. They aren't particularly set in any order by age or anything like that. They are simply the children of Grela. But now, despite his reputation, as I mentioned before, of leaving these children in darkness, Candle Stealer was recently voted the favorite of all the Yule Lads in Iceland, even though he steals candles to eat them. Why? Because, remember with the shoes and the potato? Yeah. As he is the last one before Christmas, he seems to be the most generous of the bunch, leaving the biggest and most precious of presents for those that are good. So, the first one, it's sort of like a build-up. The first one leaves an okay present, and the last one leaves the big finale present. So, all of these Yule Lads, they'll come and do their stuff, and if you're a bad child, they'll leave a potato. And if you're a good child, they will leave a present, but they still do all these annoying things. So this might also have something to do with him arriving last on the morning of Christmas Eve. But another couple things is that for some reason they aren't particularly joined by the family pet all too often and seem to be working kind of independently of each other even though the cat does show up on the same day that the last one does but it's only for that night before it returns now there are many other yule lads than the ones i listed up to 20 but only the well-behaved yule lads are allowed near children they have many more brothers and sisters who are more aggressive, such as one called Lugnesleiter, or Lung Flapper. And he walks around with wet sheep lungs and hit those who get in his way. But they aren't allowed near children as much. Originally, these Yule Lads come from the eastern part of Iceland, but the culture just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. So now they're a pretty universal thing for the Icelandic people. 
And since they only travel one at a time, they become a little more well-liked and have a little bit more of a personality to them that develops as they inspire poems and just songs, things about them. They have Christmas carols about them. Now I have before me the Yule Lad's poem that is written by Johannes Urkutlum, who wrote this poem in 1932. And it's still very popular and recited in many homes and schools in December, sort of like Iceland's The Night Before Christmas. Are you ready for the Icelandic Night Before Christmas, the poem of the Yule Lads? Yes, let's go. Okay. Sheep coat clod. The first of them was sheep coat clod. He came stiff as wood to prey upon the farmer's sheep as far as he could. He wished the suck he wished to suck the ewes, but it was no accident he couldn't. He had stiff knees, not too convenient. Gully gawk. The second was gully gawk. Gray his head and mine. He snuck into the cow barn from his craggy ravine. Hiding in the stalls, he would steal the milk, while the milkmaid gave the cowherd a meaningful smile. This is usually written in Icelandic, so the English translation doesn't have as much rhyme to it, but I'm trying. Stubby was the third called, a stunted little man, who watched for every chance to whisk off a pan and scurry away with it. He scraped off the bits that stuck to the bottom and brims. His favorite, spoon liquor. The fourth was spoon liquor. Like spindle, he was thin. He felt himself in clover when the cook wasn't in. Then stepping up, he grappled the stirring spoon with glee, holding it with both hands, for it was slippery. Pot Scraper. Pot Scraper, the fifth one, was a funny sort of chap. When kids were giving scrapings, he'd come to the door and tap. And they would rush to see if there really was a guest. Then he hurried to the pot and had a scraping fest. Bowl Liquor. Bowl Liquor, the sixth one, was shockingly ill-bred. From underneath the bedstands, he stuck his ugly head. And when the bowls were left to be licked by dog or cat, he snatched them for himself. He was sure good at that. Door Slammer. The seventh was Door Slammer, a sorry, vulgar chap. When people in the twilight would take a little nap, he was happy as a lark with the havoc he could wreak, slamming doors and hearing the hinges on them squeak. Skirgobbler. Skirgobbler the eighth was an awful stupid bloke. He lambasted the skier tub till the lid on it broke. Then he stood there gobbling. His grade was well known. Until about to burst, he would bleat, howl, and groan. Sausage Swiper. The ninth was Sausage Swiper, a shifty pilferer. 
he climbed up to the rafters and raided from there, sitting on a crossbeam in soot and in smoke. He fed himself on sausage, fit for gentlefolk. Window Peeper The tenth was Window Peeper, a weird little twit, who stepped up to the window and stole a peek through it. And whatever was inside, to which his eye was drawn, he most likely attempted to take later on. Doorway Sniffer Eleventh was Door Sniffer, Adultish lad and gross, he never got cold, yet had a huge sensitive nose. He caught the scent of lace bread, while leagues away still, and ran toward it weightless, as wind over dale and hill. Meathook. Meathook, the twelfth one, his talent would display as soon as he arrived on St. Thorlac's day. He snagged himself a morsel of meat of any sort, although his hook at times was a tiny bit too short. Candlebeggar The thirteenth was Candlebeggar. Twas cold, I believe, if he was not the last of the lot on Christmas Eve. He trailed after the little ones, who, like happy sprites, ran about the farm with their fine tallow lights. The end. Most of that kind of rhymed. I kind of like it. Yeah, no, it was pretty close. Good translation, though. Yeah, I must have took a lot of work. Now, we've covered Grela and what she does. Which, throughout all of these times, while the kids are out and about, these potatoes do mark who she steals Christmas night. To eat later. But we've only mentioned the cat. Her pet cat. A gigantic cat called Yola Koturin. The Yule Cat. And it actually had a statue made of it in Iceland because of how popular the cat itself is. Out of all of these Yuletide people, things, stuff, the Yule Cat has gotten probably the most admiration. So as a way to kind of segue into this, most of the stuff with the Yule Cat came from medieval times when it was just getting settled. And like I mentioned before, with the textile industry being essentially all there was besides farming in Iceland, employers rewarded their employees and members of their household with new clothes and sheepskin shoes as sort of a Christmas bonus or just in general payment, since there wasn't a whole lot to trade there. And the gifts were made as a reward for a year of hard work and as a motivator to finish their work with textiles before Christmas, particularly pro processing the autumn wool. But here's the thing, though. If you didn't have the new clothes for Christmas, the dreaded Yule Cat would come out and eat you. It did not matter if you were a child. It didn't matter if you were an adult. 
if you weren't wearing new clothes, this cat would devour you. Now it towers above the tallest buildings in Iceland, a gigantic cat, prancing around Iceland looking for people without new clothes. It especially looks for children, but is not restricted to them, and he inspects them to see if they have new garments. If they were too lazy to earn them, the unfortunate victim might just end up on the menu of the Yule Cat. Now, another way you could make sure that the Yule Cat doesn't get you is to be generous as well. You don't necessarily have to wear new clothes yourself. If you gifted new clothes to those that are less fortunate and couldn't afford them, the Yule Cat will also leave you alone then. But there's also some strange versions of the story where the Yule Cat doesn't eat the people, but only like their food and presents, which sounds kind of bad, but it was during that time where they had to deviate from the more gruesome of these folk tales. Sort of like how the Yule Lads used to be a little bit more evil creatures and now pranksters. That was the Yule Cat's Disneyification, so it's not as gruesome. Now, it's still tradition in Iceland to give children something new to wear before Christmas so that the Christmas cat doesn't get you. And it is kind of an interesting way for kids to be excited to receive socks and stuff for Christmas and not be upset. But still, nobody quite really believes that it really exists, like most things. But still, sort of like with Santa, you tell these stories so the kids can behave and really help out during Christmas. Otherwise, Santa will not help you with stuff, will not get you presents if you misbehave. But instead of that, you'll get eaten. Now there's another poem, since Iceland is filled with writers and poets, this one is particularly about the Yule Cat. Are you ready for another crazy poem? Can't wait. Let's go. It is by the same person that wrote the last one. You know the Christmas cat. That cat is very large. We don't know where he came from, nor where he has gone. He opened his eyes widely glowing both of them. It was not for cowards to look into them. His hair sharp as needles. His back was high and bulgy, and claws on his hairy paw were not a pretty sight. Therefore the women competed to rock and sew and spin, and knitted colorful clothes, or at least one little sock. For the cat could not come and get the little children. They had to get new clothes from the grown-ups. When Christmas Eve was lighted and the cat looked inside, the children stood straight and red-cheeked with their red, with their presence. He waved his strong tail. He jumped, scratched, and blew. 
and was either in the valley or out on the headland. He walked about, hungry and mean, in hurtfully cold Christmas snow, and kindled the hearts with fear in every town. If outside one heard a weak meow, then unluck was sure to happen. All knew he hunted men and didn't want mice. He followed the poorer people who didn't get any new clothing near Christmas and tried and lived in poorest conditions. From them he took at the same time all their Christmas food and ate them also themselves if he could. Therefore the women competed to rock and sew and spin and knitted colorful clothes or one little sock. Some had gotten an apron and some had gotten a new shoe or anything that was needful. But that was enough for pussy should not eat no one. Who got some new piece of clothes? She hissed with her ugly voice and ran away. If she still exists, I don't know. But for nothing would be his trip. If everybody would get next Christmas some new rag, he may want to keep it in mind to help if there is need. For somewhere there might be children who get nothing at all. Mayhaps that looking for those who suffer from lack of plentiful lights Will give you a happy season and Merry Christmas. The end. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty. That one didn't rhyme nearly as much as the last one, but still. It's, it's kind of cool. Now, that was an interesting poem about this crazy cat. But it is referred to in a very ancient tradition, almost as old as Grela herself. And they've only been like located as written accounts only as recently as the 19th century. But there have been indications of it being part of an oral tradition way, 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 way back. And they aren't exactly sure where. They might have thought of a giant cat as something for this. But with these Vikings that moved over to Iceland, they believe that these Nordic cats of that wild area may have been what influenced this large, fluffy, and vicious creature. So that is the assumption because there aren't really any wild or large cats throughout all of Iceland. Domestic cats are the only cats that are officially native of there now. So that is essentially all of the Yule cat. There are many more Yule lads as well, but those are the 13 that visit. Now as a couple Pop culture things, Audie has recently said about the chilly adventures of Sabrina, where we get to see 
Gryla and the Yule Lads has main point of an episode called A Midwinter's Tale, in which the Yule Lads go nuts on the household, and Gryla attempts to claim a baby from Sabrina's aunt. Uh, there's even a full video about roughly that poem that I said about the Yule Lads called Extra Credits, that is an episode of their series uh, Extra Mythology. And even on a couple of PBS shows, the Yule Cat is mentioned and thrown in on a couple of different things throughout a lot of different networks. Like there's a 2020 Netflix movie, The Christmas Chronicles 2. And the cat's name is called Jola in that, being chased by Santa Claus, but is friendly with the movie's particular antagonist, which is pretty cool to see that more and more of these previously super obscure creatures of Icelandic folklore are starting to show up more and more and more, getting a good cross-culture type thing in everything. But the true origins of Gryla could be from the Celtic mythos. Some say she used to be a giantess from that prose Edda that is found in Iceland about the Norse mythology. But there hasn't been a particular connection to Christmas in that particular sense. And it wasn't until the 17th century where she officially was the Christmas witch. Usually she was just a sort of parasitic beggar walking around asking parents to give her their disobedient children in a way to like stave her from going away. So she would literally go door to door asking for your terrible children so she could eat them. Like straight up, not even trying to deceive the parents or anything. But yeah, before she met uh, Lepaludi... She was a vagrant beggar, and she didn't move to a cave. She used to live in a hut, had two husbands. Something happened to them, met Lepaludi, moved into a cave together, had a bunch of kids, got a cat. Match made in heaven. <laughs> Don't hurt. I am going to have a hard time pronouncing this, but the lava fields of Iceland is where her cave is supposed to be. And since you aren't exactly supposed to travel in the lava fields and because it's very dangerous, it would make sense to say that this evil witch that will eat children is around this dangerous place, so you shouldn't go there. But it is called the Dimmerborger lava fields. I am probably saying that terribly. However, that is majority of what I have for Grela, per se, and her Yule lads, and her cat. Do you have any, anything you'd like to think of as possible Yule lads for our family, Audie? Ones that sneak treats to the dogs and give them lots of pets and the cats too. Aww. You sure? What would be what would be the worst Yule lad in your opinion? 
honestly, the one that steals candles or maybe in our case, modern day cell phones, because that's kind of like your safety net and like your flashlight and everything you need to communicate. Yeah, I can see that. However, I think the one I would choose as the worst one, in my personal opinion, would be Door Slammer, who just keeps waking you up by slamming doors. I like my sleep. And they interrupt that. It's mean. Well, I mean, my cat already does that for me, so... <laughs> so you're just used to it. Yeah. Oh. Instead of slamming doors, she shatters Christmas ornaments, so I mean, it's like the same thing. Well, I mean, tis the season, right? Yep, tis the season. I wouldn't tell her about the Yule cat, otherwise she might get a bit uppity with the ideas. It's just like, I could be so much more. I could terrorize towns. Yeah, and eat people. <laughs> but aside from that, that's all I got, Adi. Nice. Very nice job. You want to take us out? Yeah, I can do that. So if you guys want to learn more about today's stories and others, you can go to our blog at www.violinvice.com. If you want to email us, reach out, or contact us, you can do so at violinvice at gmail.com that's v-i-l-e-a-n-d-v-i-c-e at gmail.com no ampersands here if you want to give us a once-off donation and you're feeling awful generous you can do so with paypal at violinvice at gmail.com if you want to follow us on facebook or instagram you can do so at violinvice podcast and you can also follow us on Twitter at Vice. Again, A-N-D, no ampersands. And if you guys want to go above and beyond and support us monthly on Patreon and receive bonus content, you could do so at www.patreon.com backslash Vice V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E. And if you guys want to do us a huge, huge favor and spread the word about the podcast, tell your family, tell your friends, Tell your traveling buddies because a lot of people may or may not be traveling for holidays in the cars. We'd really, really, really appreciate it because spreading the podcast by word is the best way to go about this. And if you guys want to leave a review too, we'd be so, so thankful. I know it takes a minute to sign in, but that would be a huge favor to us and we'd really appreciate it. Um, and we hope you guys have a very safe, ha happy, and healthy holiday. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Wear some new clothes. Yes, wear clothes so the cat doesn't eat you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Reback. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash violinvice. Or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Up.